I think it's reaching the point where it's of Watergate size and scale. Oh my. Senator McCain. Getting all mavericky again? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with you. Radio Network. In Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, People Powered Radio, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, Hawaii, 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP's 102.9 FM, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around totally swell fellow from bradblog.com. Says me, thank you for joining us today. Coming up, um, well, obstruction of justice. We are hearing that phrase a whole lot right now, particularly after yesterday's explosive New York Times report regarding evidence from the former FBI director James Comey that he was asked by Donald Trump during a private Oval Office meeting in February to end the investigation into Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn. Um, But what does obstruction of justice actually mean here? And did Trump really do it? If these reports are accurate, is that still obstruction of justice? Did he did he commit it? Well, can he be charged with it, either criminally or in a potential impeachment proceeding? My my guest coming up shortly is a former assistant U.S. attorney, a prosecutor who will join us to answer all of those questions and more, at least I hope. Uh, In the meantime, it looks like being under investigation for just about anything and everything right now at this point is not, at least not yet, Anyway, leading Donald Trump to shy away from wildly controversial appointments to his administration. Just this afternoon, we learned that Milwaukee County Sheriff David A. Clark will be joining the uh, the Trump administration. He's a conservative icon. He is best known for his frequent appearances on Fox News and multiple controversies over inmate deaths occurring at his jail in Milwaukee. He told radio host uh, Vicki McKenna on Wednesday he will, quote, accept an appointment as an assistant secretary, an assistant secretary in the Department of Homeland Security. He specified that the position would be within the Office of Partnership and Programs. 
as a liaison with local governments and police departments. At least four people, uh, including a baby, have died in Clark's jail in Milwaukee, and a grand jury recommended criminal charges against several staffers last month for their role in the dehydration death of an inmate. Um, he uh, he's ostensibly he calls himself a Democrat, but um, <laughs> he's he's anything but that. Yeah, I don't see how he could even get away with calling himself a Democrat in the news. I suppose they they identify him as self-styled Democrat. Well, but he doesn't act like one and he doesn't act like one. But he's uh, African-American. He's a Democrat. So he has been elected time and again in uh, in Milwaukee as sheriff there. But. Uh, people dying in his uh, in his jails uh, may not be the, the worst that we have to worry about. Uh, uh, Pam, uh, Pima Levy over at uh, Mother Jones, this was uh, last November, had reported when it was looking as if uh, Clark was being considered to head up the Department of Homeland Security. She reported that uh, Clark is known for his extreme views on policing, including his conviction that there is a war on cops but that there is no police brutality and for his attacks on Black Lives Matter. One of uh, his most out there positions, she notes, is to suspend the constitutional rights of up to a million people and hold them indefinitely at the U.S. prison in Guantanamo Bay. Clark's extremist approach to Homeland Security uh, is no secret. It was uh, detailed in his memoir, Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond Hashtags of Race, Crime and Politics for a Better America, in which he advocated treating American citizens suspected of terrorism as enemy combatants, questioning them with no attorney, holding them indefinitely. As the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had reported, their cases would be uh, handled uh, by a military tribunal, apparently, rather than a traditional court. Uh, a year ago, back in, I think this was December, yeah, December of 2015, Clark went even further, calling for rounding up Americans who are seen as sympathetic in any way with terrorists uh, on social media and then shipping them off to an offshore prison. This was a uh, 2015, December 2015 segment of his show. He's got a show called The People's Sheriff on Glenn Beck's The Blaze yeah, Radio Network. Yeah, that's very democratic. I yeah, think, it's very you know. democratic. Uh, Clark, uh, during the show, suggested that any person who posts any kind of pro-terrorist sentiments on social media, that they should be arrested, they should be deprived of any constitutional protections against unlawful imprisonment, otherwise known as habeas corpus, and they should be sent to Guantanamo Bay forever. He estimated that the number of people who could be imprisoned under this proposal could reach as many as one million. Presumably that would include, of course, American citizens. Here's David Clark on his radio show in December 2015. I suggest that our commander in chief ought to utilize Article 1, Section 9 and take all of these individuals that are suspected these ones on the internet spewing jihadi rhetoric, not just because of some innocuous uh, statement. I'm not going to go that far. But like the woman out in San Bernardino who pledged allegiance to ISIS, that's beyond the pale, to scoop them up, charge them with treason, and under habeas corpus, detain them indefinitely at Gitmo. Why would we want to fill our jails and prisons 
with these known terrorists. All we're going to do is set up terrorist recruitment camps inside our jails and prisons in the United States. We have no idea how many people out there have pledged allegiance or supporting ISIS, giving aid and comfort. But I would suggest hundreds of thousands. I would suggest maybe a million. It's just a guess. And then you take the known terrorists that are here, and you think we're going to arrest all these people and put them in jails and then sentence them to prison? It's idiotic. Gitmo and hold them indefinitely under a suspension of habeas corpus. We're at war. This is a time of war. Bold and aggressive action is needed. Bold and aggressive action against up to a million Americans, apparently, who should be put into Gitmo if they're in, if they're put into prisons. Uh, this will be a, 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 a recruitment camp, he says. But in Gitmo somehow that's different. Uh, I don't really understand what the hell he's talking about. And if he was a, a, a normal you know, right winger spewing nonsense on radio, who cares? But he's actually. Uh, the sheriff of Milwaukee County, and now he will be in the Trump administration's Department of Homeland Security, uh, exercising, I, I guess, his uh, his beliefs here. And for the record, Article One, Section Nine of the Constitution uh, does allow the president to suspend the writ of habeas corpus, but only quote when in cases of rebellion or invasion. The public safety may require it. But there he was in uh, December of 2015, saying, "We are at war." Suspend habeas corpus, throw a million people into Gitmo without attorneys forever. As, as a policy, kind of I think I think that would be actually more a, a recruitment tool than anything to suspend the habeas corpus, to suspend the constitutional rights of Americans just because they're suspected of having posted at some point maybe something that might be considered sympathetic to terrorism. So that's that's a that's a very disturbing approach for an assistant secretary of the de- of the Department of Homeland Security to possess because they're in the process, they're the ones that are going after people and are investigating people and they have the tools of the federal government behind them. That is of course Desi Doyen our producer. I forgot to say hello and Hi. give you a yes. introduction there. Uh, Clark is uh, prone to exaggerations. Uh, Pima Levy writes at Mother Jones uh, and extreme talk, uh, for example, he had predicted on Twitter that, quote, before long, black lies, he used that word, black lies matter, will join forces with ISIS to being down our legal constituted republic. You heard it here first. Gosh, he that's said. not prejudicial at all. I don't even know what it means to being <laughs> down our legal constituted republic. Um, but yes, yeah, so Black Lives is uh, going to join forces with ISIS, according to this uh, to this black man, by the way, from uh, from Milwaukee, who's now a part of the uh, Department of Homeland Security, or says that he will be. I suspect he still has to get confirmation. We'll see how that goes. Um, he, yeah, and with him running yeah. as a Democrat, all of these uh, and getting elected as a Democrat in Milwaukee, to me, shows the um, significant weakness of the party in that area. Levy also points out that uh, he, he that Clark did not say how how uh, tweets and Facebook posts would be policed or how one million people would be arrested and incarcerated in a prison that has up to now held fewer than 800 prisoners. But, hey, it can be expanded to a million. 
So that's going on today. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, while the White House has been uh, issuing, uh, having its own problems and uh, has issued a denial that Trump had asked FBI Director James Comey to sit down, I'm sorry, to shut down uh, the investigation into Michael Flynn. Uh, he has he has not yet himself spoken to the matter, uh, which is a little surprising. He thought he would be out on Twitter today, but he, he wasn't. In the meantime, he is surrounding himself with all of these multiple questions. Uh, Trump complained during a graduation speech at the Coast Guard Academy in Connecticut on Wednesday that no politician in history, speaking of exaggerations, no politician in history has been treated worse than he has. Look at the way I've been treated lately, especially by the media. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, <laughs> has been treated worse or more unfairly. No politician in history, he says with, what did he say, surety, <laughs> uh, has been treated worse than him. Okay, well, uh, Bruce Bartlett, former Ronald Reagan official, uh, had a response to that. Uh, he, he tweeted today, Trump says no president has been treated worse than him. Here are four, Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, and Kennedy. <laughs> well, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, but that was uh, Donald Trump today during uh, during his speech. He'll be, go he'll be leaving on Friday for a, uh, I think, a 10-day overseas trip, and I suspect a lot of people in D.C. Are, are happy about that. Maybe it'll mean a breather. I doubt it. We'll see what happens overseas with him. But in the meantime, Democrats continue to demand an independent investigation uh, to a, a commission to dig into Trump's firing of uh, FBI Director James Comey. But Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan today continued to caution against rushing to judgment. Ryan said Congress needs to get the, to get to the facts, but, quote, it is obvious there are some people out there who want to harm the president. Elijah Cummings, the top Democrat on the House Oversight Panel, countered uh, Ryan by saying that Republicans had shown zero, zero, zero appetite for any investigation of President Trump. One measure for that lack of of appetite that uh, Elijah Cummings was talking about that Republicans seem to have to investigate here uh, was after that news broke in the New York Times yesterday. Rachel Bade of, uh, of Politico had tweeted, I just asked Congressman Daryl Issa about the Comey news and he flipped me off. Literally Whoa. gave me the middle finger and kept walking. Wow. Said nothing. Yeah, they're not in a good mood about this. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, however, has called for uh, the uh, Comey memos to be turned over from the FBI. Uh, that's good news. He said that uh, GOP oversight, he's the chair of the uh, Republican, well, the, the, the House Oversight Committee. He's the Republican chair. He says he's going to get that Comey memo if it exists. He said, I need to see it sooner rather than later, and I have my subpoena pen ready. So there's one Republican who was uh, willing at least to do something here. He told NBC News that it seems like an extraordinary use of influence to try to shut down an investigation being done by the FBI. Um so that's notable from the Republicans in the House and uh, from the Republicans in the Senate. There was a, a little bit of concern expressed, at least by 
Senator John McCain at a dinner speaking last night. Uh, he says, uh, we have seen this movie before. Bob, the only thing I can say is I think we've seen this movie before. I think it's reaching the point where it's of Watergate size and scale and a couple of other scandals that you and I have seen. It's a centipede that the shoe continues to drop. And every couple of days, there's a new aspect uh, uh, of this uh, really unhappy situation. And you know, my friends, none of us, no matter what our political leanings are, no matter how we feel about uh, Trump, uh, feel this is not good for America. It, we've got a crowded agenda. We've got, uh, particularly speaking as a Republican, we have to do, uh, we have to do uh, reform of, of Obamacare and replacement. We have to uh, work on, on the uh, tax reform. We have a, a number of agenda items, and I, I have to honestly speak to truth to my Republican friends. I don't see how you can say that just the, um, the confirmation of Judge Gorsuch is uh, enough of a record for us to stand before the American people in 2018. I think he means the theft of the Supreme Court majority with the uh, uh, appointment and ramming through of, uh, of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. But that was John McCain uh, comparing what's going on here to Watergate. That's kind of uh, that's something that's kind of amazing. So there are some Republicans, at least just a handful here, uh, who are willing to come out uh, following the New York Times blockbuster news yesterday, but not a lot. In fact, over on Fox News, Brett Baer said that the, there weren't, quote, any Republicans willing to go on camera last night in the wake of that New York Times oh, report, man. not even on friendly Fox News. Talk about no appetite. He says, we've tried tonight to get Republicans to come out and talk to us, and there are not Republicans willing to go on camera tonight as of yet, and we'll see if that changes. Uh, Charles Krauthammer, one of the uh, panelists over on that uh, Brett Baer special report show, said he found it stunning that Republicans would not defend this president. He said, what I think is really stunning is that nobody, not even from the White House, has come out under their own name in defense of the president here. That, he said, on Fox News, where they couldn't even get a Republican. Uh, so, But some have been willing to talk. One of them who are, you know, have been willing to at least express a concern and alarm, one who wasn't, at least as of last night, was Richard Burr, Republican senator of North Carolina. He's the chair of the supposedly serious Senate Intelligence Committee. Remember, the House Intelligence Committee had sort of turned into a joke after the, the chair over there, Republican uh, Congressman Devin Nunes, played along with that White House stunt, got documents from the White House, then said he was going to go show them to the White House, supposedly documenting how Obama had wiretapped Trump Tower. Well, it was obviously a charade. But in the meantime, many turned to the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, chaired by uh, Richard Burr, and said that that was the serious investigation from Congress. Well, how serious? <laughs> Following the news of the memo uh, reportedly written by Comey after that one-on-one -on -one meeting with Trump in the Oval Office where Trump asked him to shut down the uh, investigation into Flynn, Politico reporter um, Alana Shore had quoted Burr, uh, who said in response to the story, he said, quote, I think the burden is on the New York Times. 
if they're reporting it and they've got somebody who's got the document, they need to get the document and get it released. Oh, if only there were, I don't know, a branch of government that would have subpoena power. With subpoena to power get to get this. You would think, <laughs> yeah. But Rather than a, making the press do it. Yeah, it's not our problem. That's the New York <laughs> Times. They should go get that. Uh, that did not go over well, apparently, last night. Uh, as of Wednesday, the Senate Intelligence Committee has now asked Comey to appear uh, before the panel in both open and closed sessions. And that's important. That's a big thing because Comey had wanted to testify reportedly. Uh, but the Senate uh, only wanted him in a closed session, which he had reportedly uh, refused to do. He wants his testimony to be oh, open. Yeah. And there's a good reason for that, because we've seen over the last uh, couple of years that Republicans in the Congress are the leakiest <laughs> Republicans right? ever. So that's what they do. They put it into a private closed hearing. They selectively leak things that look bad to the person that they're targeting. And those that person doesn't really have much that they can say in their own defense because it's all secret. And Comey knows that oh, and yeah. it's not uh, his first day at the rodeo Comey don't play that yeah, yeah. Uh, the the, uh, the committee the Senate Intelligence Committee also asked FBI the acting FBI director Andrew McCabe to give the committee any notes that Comey might have made regarding discussions he had with the White House so uh, Burr's position the very serious Richard Burr of North Carolina chairing the Senate Intelligence Committee who said, it's not my problem, uh, go get that document, New York Times, uh, finally realized, oh, I'm the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Perhaps I should go get that document. Uh, but never mind investigation. What about impeachment? Uh, since John McCain there referenced the Watergate-sized problem that, uh, that, that Trump and, and Republicans are now facing, well, at least one non-Democratic senator now, uh, Angus King, an independent, though he often caucuses with the Democrats, he started using the I word last night. He told CNN that if indeed the president tried to tell the director of the FBI who worked for him that he should drop an investigation, whether it was Michael Flynn or whether it was some investigation that had uh, nothing to do with Russia or politics or the election, that's a very serious matter. Wolf Blitzer asked him that uh, if these allegations are true, are we getting closer to the possibility of yet another impeachment process? And King said uh, reluctantly, Wolf, I have to say yes, simply because obstruction of justice is such a serious offense. He also went on to say that, hey, if the White House uh, actually has tapes, audio tapes, as, as they have suggested, uh, that that information also needs to be examined. Well, we'll see about those tapes and whether they actually exist or not. But in the meantime, there's that obstruction of justice phrase again. So what does that actually mean? And and what would it take for either criminal obstruction of justice charges to be brought or the type of obstruction of justice charges that were included in impeachments for both uh, in articles of impeachment for both Richard Nixon and for Bill Clinton. We'll be joined by a former federal prosecutor next to discuss exactly that. That is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. 
please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Good question. How long can this go on? Uh, are we at the point of no return? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So uh, on the heels of, of the blockbuster news on Tuesday that now former FBI Director James Comey, who was fired by Donald Trump just over a week ago, seems like forever ago, uh, on the news that he had taken uh, contemporary, contemporaneous notes uh, following that uh, curious one-on-one -on -one meeting in the Oval Office with the president last February, the hue and cry over what many regard as Trump's obstruction of justice into the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign has reached new highs uh, or lows today, depending on how you may wish to look at it. During that Oval Office meeting, after Vice President Mike Pence and Attorney General Jeff Sessions had been asked to leave the room, according to the New York Times bombshell account of Comey's uh, memo memorializing the meeting, Trump asked Comey to end that probe into the Lieutenant General uh, Michael Flynn's ties to foreign governments, including Russia. Comey wrote that uh, Trump told him Flynn was, quote, a good guy who didn't do anything wrong and said, quote, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. That request at the private meeting with Comey came reportedly just one day after the firing of Flynn as Trump's national security advisor. Once it had been public re publicly reported by The Washington Post that Flynn had withheld details of his conversation with the Russian ambassador to the U.S., uh, Sergei Kislak. But Comey apparently did not let Flynn go. Since the meeting, a grand jury has reportedly issued subpoenas seeking financial information from Flynn. And Comey, as, uh, as noted, according to the news reports, had sought more resources to fund the growing probe. Finally, Comey was fired in what Trump himself described to NBC News in a decision uh, he described as having to do with, uh, quote, the Russia thing, which he describes as a made up story. And in the bargain, Trump joined the annals of American history as only the second president after Richard Nixon to fire an investigator investigating potential crimes that could involve the president himself in some fashion. Obstruction of justice, of course, was included in the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon. It also included uh, the articles of it was included in the articles of impeachment that were brought against President Bill Clinton. Obstruction of justice. But as a criminal matter in any potential prosecution of President Trump and as a political matter in any potential impeachment proceedings against the president, what does obstruction of justice really mean here? Given that so many seem to be citing it right now, particularly over the over the past 24 hours or so, but even going back, well, years ago, I mean, late last week when news emerged that Trump had also had a private dinner with Comey just days after his inauguration in January when Comey 
uh, was asked several times, according to accounts from uh, from Comey's associates, for his loyalty to the president as FBI director in the middle of a 10 year term, though one which the president himself had the legal right to terminate at his pleasure. It should be noted that the White House here has strongly denied uh, the way the, the both of those meetings, those two meetings with Comey, have been characterized in media reports. Both that meeting at the uh, in the Oval Office and that uh, private dinner meeting. But obstruction of justice is a term that gets tossed around fairly loosely, writes Randall D. Eliason at the Sidebars blog this week. The op-ed pages and Twitter have been pronouncing Trump guilty for days, he notes. But the crime of obstruction of justice has specific requirements that can be difficult to prove, writes Eliason. A federal prosecutor analyzing this as a criminal case would face some significant hurdles. But, he goes on to explain, political remedies in response to obstruction of justice are ultimately a separate matter. Joining us now to hopefully uh, help make some sense of the hue and cry concerning obstruction of justice being heard across D.C., across the nation, and indeed uh, across the world today, is Randall D. Eliason. He's a law professor, writer, and commentator on corporate and white-collar criminal law. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he served as chief of the public corruption government fraud section. I bet he was very busy. His writings on federal criminal law have appeared in scholarly journals and newspapers such as the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune. Professor Eliason currently teaches white-collar criminal law at George Washington University Law School in Washington, D.C., and he is a faculty member of the National Institute of Trial Advocacy. He also posts on white-collar crime and federal criminal law at his blog, Sidebars, which you can read at sidebarsblog.com. Professor Eliason, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Your explainer on what we know and don't about potential obstruction of justice by Donald Trump uh, on both the legal and political perspective at, uh, at the Sideways blog is tremendously helpful. So, Thank you, A, for that, because uh, I want to talk about both aspects. But but let's start with the legal ones. That's where you start in your piece. In fact, while there remains some question as to whether a sitting president can actually face criminal charges at all, the case is being made, at least publicly, that Trump obstructed the FBI's investigation uh, by seeking personal loyalty from Comey in that January dinner meeting, in asking Comey to let go of the Flynn investigation during the private Oval Office meeting in February, and then, of course, in firing Comey last week. But the criminal legal definition of obstruction of justice, as as you explain it, is very specific. So without going too deep into the weeds here, uh, does what we know about the case as of now meet or at least nearly meet the legal definition of obstruction of justice? Yes, thanks. I think the important thing, as you mentioned in your introduction, is to distinguish between kind of obstruction of justice in the broader sense that the way the term gets uh, thrown around a lot, and, mm-hmm. and the m- more narrow criminal sense of an actual criminal violation that, that fits the obstruction of justice statutes. And that's, that's a much higher standard uh, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt all of the elements of, of an actual crime, mm-hmm. as opposed to a more general claim that the president is kind of violating these norms and rules and traditions that we have about not interfering with 
uh, ongoing investigations and, uh, you know, appearing to pressure the FBI director, things like that. And that so, would that would that yeah. would more fall under the rubric of the 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 political aspects of this, uh, it, the norms and so forth. Correct? Exactly, exactly. And so the point I was making in the in the blog is if you were looking at this just as a crime, mm-hmm. uh, as a criminal prosecutor, um, and does it actually violate the elements of the criminal statute? Certainly, there is a preliminary case. There's certainly enough there to make you want to take a look at it and do some further investigation. But it's not at all uh, clear, based on what we know right now, that you could take this to a jury and get them to find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt of an actual crime. Um, And and the key issue in any obstruction case, Mm -hmm. it always comes down to the defendant's intent, usually. Uh, Because what happened is usually pretty clear. I mean, it's pretty clear that he fired him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, that they had these meetings, you know, some of the details might be contested and things like that. But the facts of what happened in these cases are, are often not that much in dispute. What ends up being disputed is what was going on in the defendant's head, right? right? Um, and that's really hard to prove because we can't read people's minds. So you've got to find ways to try to build a case, uh, usually of circumstantial evidence, that suggests uh, the real explanation here was, in fact, a corrupt intent to actually obstruct the ongoing proceeding. So it's not enough if the president does something that just has the effect of hurting the investigation mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a kind of side effect. I mean, the prosecutor would have to show that was what he set out to do. He had the wrongful and deliberate intent to try to thwart, uh, in this case, the uh, ongoing grand jury investigation that could potentially, uh, at least as critics suggest, implicate his campaign or maybe even him. So, so the question, so the focus would be in at least a a criminal prosecution on uh, the idea of corrupt intent in this case. In other words, president is certainly free to fire the FBI director, uh, has that right. But if he did so with corrupt intent, that would be a different matter. What sort of things would we look at here as evidence of corrupt intent? Because it sure seems. I, you know, it certainly seems like there was corrupt intent if you just look at, at the facts of, uh, you know, asking for loyalty, uh, asking him to let this go, and then firing him when he doesn't. That looks right. like corrupt intent. I think the, the revelations last night about this, uh, this meeting where he uh, reportedly sort of asked Comey to, to drop the investigation, mm-hmm. that's a pretty significant additional fact um, that adds to the to the, the sort of wall you try to build of circumstantial evidence. So mm-hmm. what you try to do if you're a prosecutor is you take all these little things and uh, bits of evidence, and, and they're like bricks, you know, one by one, you're, and you're building a wall until finally it gets to the point where you can say to the jury, look, we can't read the guy's mind, but there's no reasonable doubt here. When you look at all of this, we know what was really going on. And what he was really trying to do is thwart this investigation. So you look at the meeting with Comey where he you know, allegedly ask him to drop the case. Mm-hmm. But some of the other things, too, surrounding the firing, for example, the explanations given for the firing uh, seem kind of implausible. You know, it's uh, supposedly things that uh, Comey did six months ago mm-hmm. surrounding the Hillary Clinton investigation. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it was six months ago, so why are you firing him now? Right. And second, at the time, the president praised those actions uh, and thought Comey was, was doing a great job. Right, mm-hmm. and, and repeatedly expressed his support for him. So some of the reasons seem 
like possibly pretextual, and that suggests, well, maybe really something else is going on, right? Mm-hmm. Something that he wants to conceal. Um, his spokespeople said, well, we had to fire him because he lost support within the rank and file of the FBI. That's apparently not true. Uh, and the now acting director has denied that mm-hmm. before Congress. So there are a lot of little surrounding circumstances that suggest the, act- the explanation they're offering doesn't seem to make sense and seems inconsistent, or they keep shifting the reason. You know, was it because mm-hmm. Rod Rosenstein recommended it? And then Trump says, no, I decided on my own without any recommendation. And, and does the claim, by the way, uh, Randall, that we did it for one reason, as was given initially, and then the president coming out and saying, no, no, it was because of this other thing. Right. Do, do those shifting uh, explanations themselves uh, suggest that there was a, a, a corrupt intent here? Well, it's another piece of circumstantial evidence, mm-hmm. right? It, just by themselves? No. But I think it's a helpful fact, if you were trying to make this argument, uh, that the reasons they gave don't make sense, they keep shifting on what the reasons were, uh, and why does that happen? It mm-hmm. happens because the truth is something more sinister that the defendant wants to conceal, because he was trying to thwart this investigation. So when you're trying to make up other reasons to cover that, that's when you start getting inconsistencies and change stories and things like that. Now, I, <laughs> to be yeah. fair, the counter to that would be, that's been the story of the last hundred days. You know, the president's staff says something, and he comes out and says something different, and it could just be a symptom of the kind of disarray and chaos within the White House that we've been seeing ever since the president took office. So, you know, there's a counter-argument there, too, I guess. The, the counter-argument being, hey, we don't know what we're doing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, we're not yeah, good at I, this. I, I don't, I, our president doesn't, doesn't, you know, couldn't form corrupt intent because uh, he wasn't even thinking about the investigation, he was just kind of reacting to to things that are happening in the moment, which, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, like the last three or four months have, have shown other examples of as well. Now, obstruction of justice is a uh, is, is, is separate uh, from the potential crime for a potential crime being investigated itself, correct? In other words, e- even if Trump is right that the, the Trump-Russia investigation is a made-up story, as he called it, if it's completely false, if it's totally a hoax, it's based on, you know, those darn Democrats making up stuff, trying to, you know, make excuses for themselves for not winning the election, uh, even if that was true, the president here would still have no legal grounds to impede an investigation into those uh, into those charges, correct? That's absolutely right, yeah. It's a separate offense, and the old, you know, Watergate era saying, especially around Washington, is sometimes the cover-up is worse than the crime, right? So e- even if the underlying investigation didn't lead to any criminal charges, if you corruptly obstruct that investigation... You, that's a whole separate crime that you can get in trouble for. And there are plenty of examples you can point to, including Scooter Libby under the George Bush administration, mm-hmm. who went to, uh, was, was convicted of obstruction of justice and uh, other crimes mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the uh, CIA leak investigation. Or Martha Stewart, who was investigated for insider trading and wasn't charged with insider trading, but got convicted of obstruction of justice and, and false statements. So definitely the cover-up... In other words, yeah. if people are looking at misconduct by President Trump related to Russia interference, that's a whole separate issue. Um, if that happened, that could be grounds for some kind of you know, impeachment proceedings or other political mm-hmm. actions. Even if it wasn't true, if he tried to obstruct a legitimate you know, FBI investigation... And that's a whole separate grounds for possible investigation. And what are the, uh, I had mentioned in the intro, uh, well, the fact that 
the there are claims that a president cannot be uh, that criminal charges cannot be brought against a sitting president. So even right. if we had a strong case, or the the FBI had evidence of a strong case of obstruction of justice here. Could they file charges uh, or, or at least recommend them to the to the prosecutor, who in this case would be Jeff Sessions or uh, someone right. else appointed by uh, Donald Trump? Uh, but so question whether they would do it. But could they do it? Is that something that could move forward? Well, it's never been officially settled at, like by a Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. whether that's possible. Uh, obviously, it doesn't come up that often, but the the uh, sort of consensus of opinion is that you probably can't indict and prosecute a sitting president, and that's been the official position of the Department of Justice for a long time. Um, it, it was debated a lot back during the Bill Clinton era. Ken Starr was thinking about you know, whether he could indict, indict uh, mm-hmm. President Clinton or not. But uh, there are a lot of constitutional arguments about why that is not only impractical but possibly dangerous. You know, and 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 how. For the you know allowing the country to continue operating, and how does the president's own attorney general prosecute the president? And if the president is convicted, can he pardon himself? I mean, there's a whole lot of right, issues right. there. So I think the the consensus is the Constitution is set up so that the remedy for that kind of situation is impeachment. It's not a criminal prosecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that kind of misconduct, it may well amount to a criminal violation, but the remedy is not to indict the president and prosecute him, the remedy is uh, impeachment proceedings. It's interesting that uh, he, he is actually somewhat protected as long as he remains president. In other words, if he if he uh, resigns tomorrow or if he's impeached, then he could be uh, vulnerable, I guess, to uh, criminal obstruction of justice charges. But as president... He may avoid those charges, but then you're right. That brings us to uh, obstruction of justice as a potential grounds for impeachment. Now, there is no actual legal definition, if I understand uh, your article correctly, uh, Randall Eliason, uh, concerning obstruction of justice when it comes to its use as a basis for impeachment. On that level, is it just a, a political affair? Whatever these people, uh, you know, who might bring uh, these articles of impeachment decide to describe as obstruction? Well, Gerald Ford, I think it was, sort of famously said once that uh, uh, an impeachable offense is anything that a majority of the House of Representatives decides that it is on mm-hmm. any given day. <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, that, that's probably going too far, but the point is, yeah, there's not a list of of uh, defined offenses that that justify impeachment it's really it's a political process rather than a criminal or legal one and so it's basic the conduct doesn't have to violate an actual criminal statute the constitution uses the frame the phrase uh, high crimes and misdemeanors but mm-hmm. that doesn't actually mean literal criminal offenses it means misconduct in office so if the misconduct in office rises to the level that the members of congress believe it it, it justifies removing the president from office, then they can do that. And they don't have to go, you know, parse the elements of a criminal offense the way a prosecutor would and prove them beyond a reasonable doubt. There's a lot, you know, the reality is there's a lot of overlap, right? Like right. you said in your intro, obstruction was a part of the articles of impeachment of, of Richard Nixon and, and Bill Clinton. And, and the basic, you know, nature of the offense would be the same, but they're just not constrained by the precise legal requirements that a, that a criminal prosecutor is. And they could focus more on, you know, whether or not it would violate the actual criminal statute. The president mm-hmm. 
talking to the FBI director and trying to influence the outcome of a particular criminal case, we don't do that. That violates our entire you know, legal structure, rule of law that we've, that we've followed for, for generations. And that kind of interference and misconduct uh, renders the president, you know, unfit for office. And a lot of that we're learning about, we, we spoke with the constitutional law expert uh, Ian Milheiser uh, a week or two ago, or, or maybe longer. I've lost all track of time at this point. But, uh, you know, he regarded uh, what's going on here, a lot of what's going on here, as uh, the realization that Americans are having that, hey, a lot of the stuff we do is actually not based on laws, but based on those norms and traditions that you talk about. Uh, uh, and and we're learning that those are the things that are falling. That it's not necessarily a legal issue here at all. It's uh, you know something else. It's a norm that we don't yep. do this. We don't fire a, uh, an investigator when they are investigating me, basically. Uh, yep. b- b- but very quickly, I know we've got just a, a minute or two left. There's a couple of things I want to hit. If impeachment were successful, in that a majority of members of the U.S. House at some point voted to impeach. Impeach. The matter would still have to go to the Senate. There's a trial. Two-thirds of the senators would have to find the president guilty. Would they then use in that kind of a trial, I know we're in uncharted waters in many regards here, but would they then use the same legal standard for determining if obstruction of justice was carried out that might then be used in a court of law? Or are we still in the norms area when it comes to that trial in, the, uh, in a U.S. Senate? It's pretty much up to them. They're not, they're not bound by the same rules that a criminal trial is bound by, so they kind of adopt their own mm-hmm. rules and procedures. But I think you could expect that the, the type of thing they would be seeking to prove or to find you know, the mm-hmm. president uh, liable for would be very similar to the, to the you know, criminal elements of obstruction of justice. But it's broader. Uh, it's, it's, it is this idea of our, our constitutional norms and checks and balances and, and things like that, that that you talk about. And and I think it's a good point that, you know, these last few months have demonstrated really how kind of fragile those norms are. You know, they're extremely important, uh, but they are fragile because they don't necessarily have a criminal statute to back them up. They just have our, our you know, couple centuries of traditions. And if someone is willing to just flaunt those, uh, what exactly do you do? It's not, it's not entirely clear. Uh, Josh Marshall over Talking Points Memo and many others have been citing uh, the firing of Comey as what they describe as an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Is that a criminal matter? Is there an actual crime regarding abuse of power, or is that another one of these strictly political issues uh, here as it applies? Yep, I think that's the, in the political category as well. I mean, there's not a crime called abuse of power, but it does fall into this kind of violating norms category, right? Mm-hmm. Violating our political structures, our political institutions, our political heritage, and at some point, again, that can become severe enough that Congress decides this is basically dangerous to our democracy. You know, to allow this to continue, and, and they need to step in and and take some action. I know you've uh, written, uh, Professor Lyson, about the uh, concerns about uh, the uh, Trump administration's violations of the emoluments clause. Uh, before we go, I would just want to get your thoughts, because now this is coming up, the 25th Amendment remedy. Uh, I don't know if you've written about that, but is that something where, of course, uh, very briefly, uh, half of the uh, president's cabinet could write a letter saying he's unfit, essentially, uh, to serve in office? Uh, there's a procedure that uh, follows that. But is is that something uh, separate from impeachment that you would look at 
uh, or that you have looked at uh, in regard to this uh, president, the 25th Amendment? I have not looked at that. I guess my sense is that seems even less likely than impeachment proceedings, um, given sort of what it takes to initiate that and, and the, the number of, of the president's own people that would have to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's another remedy that's out there that, that people are talking about, but that strikes me as even less likely than uh, impeachment, which itself is, uh, I think, talk of impeachment is premature. You know, I mean, we need to know a whole lot more. We need a lot more investigating, uh, preferably by some kind of independent commission now, or independent council now, and maybe this pressure will, will lead to that uh, before we can make those kind of judgments. As a former prosecutor, uh, assistant U.S. attorney uh, for the District of Columbia, would you say that uh, such a special counsel here is long overdue in this case? I mean, it seems absolutely ridiculous at this point that we've got you know members of uh, of Trump's own party in Congress and uh, his own appointees now uh, in the DOJ and at the FBI investigating this. Um, as a former prosecutor, you look at this and and you say this needs to be independent entirely from the uh, from the Department of Justice at this point. Yes, I think it, I think it definitely is the type of case that 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 calls for that kind of independent examination that's that's outside of the, the president's own Department of Justice itself. And there have been enough questions raised about uh, you know internal conflicts and the ability to do this investigation fairly and impartially, that I think this is exactly the kind of case that, that calls for just that kind of an independent counsel. I greatly appreciate your uh, explanation of all of this. Professor Randall Elias, in uh, your article, Did President Trump Obstruct Justice? A Prosecution Analysis over at the Sidebars blog is uh, is very valuable, as has been your coverage of a lot of these issues, just sobering and explaining what the law is and isn't uh, in this particularly heated atmosphere. It's incredibly helpful. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for joining us uh, today. Randall D. Eliason, you can find his work at sidebarsblog.com and on the Twitters at R.D. Eliason. Uh, Professor, I hope you don't mind if we call you again in the future to uh, shed some light on this uh, growing and fine mess. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, a quick, uh, a quick break, and we are yeah, it's happening again. What? Wait. Uh, what? Some breaking news coming in. Uh, speaking of special counsel, all right, let's take a quick break. Always happens mid-show. We'll take a quick break. Come back with the breaking news. It looks like a special counsel has now been named to investigate uh, this entire fine mess. So there you go. We'll be back with that news and maybe more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I'll tell you what it means. Yes. Yep. Lots of pressure being applied in Washington, D.C. This breaking news just in as I was uh, discussing with 
Professor Eliason there. It looks like, uh, in fact, the Justice Department uh, is now uh, declaring a, uh, a special counsel. This according to the uh, actually the New York Times came in, the AP came in, CNN came in. They all came in with alerts there. Uh, yeah, it was like iPhone. a flood of, of alerts on all everything came all out at once. once. That's right. Um, former FBI Director Robert S. Mueller has been uh, named to serve as special counsel to oversee its investigation into the Russian meddling, as they describe it in the New York Times. Uh, this according to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Um, so there will be, in fact, a special counsel now to look into this. Democrats have been calling for this for a long time. The uh, Justice Department has d- declined, has refused. Rod Rosenstein, who is the deputy attorney general, he is overseeing the investigation into the Trump campaign and all of this stuff because Jeff Sessions was part of the Trump campaign. So he eventually recused himself. Uh, after it was uh, found that he had not, in fact, himself disclosed some of his own meetings with the Russian ambassador. So the new deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, has announced moments ago that there will be a special prosecutor, a special counsel, as they call them, uh, to look into this investigation. Former FBI director Robert Mueller. Uh, Des, you had uh, noted... Well, yeah, yeah, a couple of things here. Yeah. So one is uh, Vox.com has a great explainer on special counsels, special prosecutors, and special committees. They're basically saying that a, the law creating a special prosecutor expired in 1999, and that means that that whole mechanism for establishing an independent special prosecutor is gone. So that would now, have been, I believe, uh, Congress or the president uh, creating Congress, a special yes, prosecutor. That's, Congress would right. have to renew the that law for that to happen for a special prosecutor for a special counsel that's different that's exactly what has happened today with deputy ag rosenstein that's the only person who has the authority to directly appoint a special counsel that person however according to vox.com is directly answerable to the attorney general exactly yeah and the deputy attorney general that means this person can pursue criminal indictments in grand jury investigations but the attorney general or the Deputy Attorney General can fire them at any time and overrule any decisions that they make when it comes to investigating or prosecuting the case. That's a special counsel. That's what we have now. And please note that the President of the United States can also himself fire the Deputy Attorney General or the uh, or the Attorney General himself, both of whom are overseeing this special counsel. So it, it's not a completely independent uh, committee. But as the New York Times reports, uh, he would have greater autonomy to run an investigation than, for example, a U.S. attorney who is directly fireable by the U.S. Uh, by by the president of the United States. Yeah. And, and more more reporting is coming out now on Twitter. John Carl from ABC, he says uh, he tweeted just a few minutes ago. The White House was blinded by the special counsel announcement given only about a 30 minute heads up. And there are a couple of people that are responding to that. So saying, they weren't told in advance yeah, either. They, they, they're, they're actually right. responding and saying that was probably a good idea because, you know, 
with this fireability happening, you know, who mm-hmm. knows if you get them, if you get the announcement out before you tell them, then they have very little time to uh, that he could muster fire, a defense. He could, uh, Trump could have fired Rosenstein before Rosenstein was able to name that special prosecutor. Yes, and, and another person has uh, also reminded us that, remember, Trump threatened to get a special prosecutor to prosecute Hillary Clinton back in October. He tweeted, quote, Well, he, he was half right. Yeah, he tweeted, quote, <laughs> if I win, I am going to in- instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there's never been anything like your lies. Oy, well, we've got a special prosecutor, just not into Hillary Clinton. <laughs> exactly. And one last thing. Yeah. John McCain was stopped in the hallway in the Senate and asked um, on camera, what did he think about this? And he says, it's all moving so fast. He said, quote, Watergate took months. This thing seems to be taking hours. It really does. Yeah. I was wondering last night on uh, on Twitter, uh, I, you know, how quickly this is going to move. It would not surprise me at all if at some point in the not too distant future, in the next ten minutes or so, uh, yeah, <laughs> Donald Trump just says, "You know what? The hell with this. I quit." And he uh, he goes full Palin on this, uh, full wow. Sarah Palin, and just says, "I'm out of here." That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, that's how quickly this thing is moving. Yeah, Watergate, uh, it took months and months, uh, years of investigation. This thing... This thing is moving very, very quickly, and perhaps it's moving quickly because we have the history of Watergate, because we've had a sort of an, a, a previous experience in this direction, but, you know... And this remember, is also just crazy fast. In the in the Watergate case, it was uh, the the president wanted his AG... Nixon wanted the AG to fire the special prosecutor. Right. In this case, that would be the special prosecutor would be uh, Mueller now, uh, who I think is well respected. He served under both Republican and uh, Democratic presidents. Yes. Uh, Mueller did. Um, so uh, if if the analogy continued, it would be Trump demanding that his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, fire Robert Mueller. Right. Uh, Jeff Sessions is recused from the investigation. Of course, uh, who knows if anything stops anybody from doing anything anymore. A lot of this stuff, uh, as uh, Professor Eliason said, is by norms and traditions. So who knows where this all goes from here? And I wish the hell it would stop breaking in the middle of our shows every day. But so be it. Uh, <laughs> we'll get out. Uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, thank you very much. My thanks again to my guest, Randall Eliason of George Washington University School of Law. Check out his work at sidebarsblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day here over your public airwaves. If you like, you can drop me email on bradcast at bradblog.com and you can find us, follow us, and share us far and wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.